Today's guest is Scotty McKeever of Equine Edge, and we'd like you to know that we have a special promotion with them this summer. It is only for In The Money Media listeners. All In The Money Media listeners who are new to Equine Edge get the service absolutely free for an entire month. Simply use promo code FREEMONEY on the sign-up page or go directly to equineedge.com forward slash free money. With Delmar and Saratoga coming up, now is the perfect time to sign up for your free account and get familiar with the platform. And all month long, Scotty will be guesting with PTF on the Wait Week flagship show, handicapping races from around the country using Equine Edge and answering your questions about the product. To learn more, check out equineedge.com forward slash free money. Welcome to episode 101 of Redboard Rewind. My name is Spencer Luganbuehl, and today my special guest is none other than the inventor of Equine Edge, a TVG personality. It's Scotty McKeever. Me and Scotty go over four races from this past Sunday at Santa Anita, those races being five, six, seven, and eight. And some angles we talk about are how Equine Edge has made me a better handicapper and how to play firsters going against horses with a couple of starts under their belt. This is Red Border Rewind. And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest for this week's Redboard Rewind. He is the proud owner of Equine Edge. It's Scotty McKeever. Scotty, how are you? I'm doing good, Spencer. How are you? Doing fantastic. Glad to finally have you on the show. Uh, you have allowed me and a couple of the guys from the mine to uh, enjoy your wonderful product. And uh, I can say without a doubt, there is uh, gener- definitely some amazing, amazing things on that that even, you know, can rival Formulator for sure. Yeah, I mean, the hope was, uh, Formula is a great product, but our hope was is that we would be able to um, replace a lot of the the paper and a lot of the stuff that's kind of monotonous or takes a lot of time to handicap. And the challenge would be to get everybody to go, okay, I want to get into the 21st century, right? So what we did was we uh, created a bunch of metrics and we had 26 algorithms on our site. And and the idea was that you would get this information quickly. Like if I said to you, Spencer, I'll give you, five hours to handicap Santa Anita. And I said, I don't care what the price is. What would be your win percentage? And if you, you would probably say, oh, 25 or 30%, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, our top win percentage just alone is 36%. So you start from there and, uh, and that's just the beginning. And then has, of course, a lot of other tools as well. So uh, yeah, that's, that's the idea is that things can be quicker so we can, we can have a regular life. Cause you know, this new generation of people, the kids, uh, they're not going to, they're not going to, do traditional reading like we used to do right they're gonna they want stuff at their fingertips they want them fast and so i think we're 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 doing that we're drawing a lot of new people to the game as well i I think for me as well just even like uh the wonderful people over at stable duel what they're trying to do to envelop you know develop the younger crowd and just get them up it's it's so difficult because you look at just how hard the game is you know from strength and weakness it's hey do you have four hours to sit down to sit down and try and learn this game no oh because you have twenty five thousand other things to do being a student or whatever and having something like equine edge is just um you know like you said it's fingertip nice and easy 
You want to know what the strength of the last race was instead of trying to, you know, watch these eight horses for six months to figure out how strong they are. Bang. There's the number right on the screen for you. Absolutely. And I, I remember, so we used to have these parties over at Del Mar in the summer, of course. And, and I would have 30 people in the room. And, and I remember distinctly a friend of mine, he watched me all day long and my head was in the form not, against, again, nothing wrong with the form. That's what we all grew up with, but my head was in the form and then nobody knew what they were doing. So they weren't <laughs> taking ownership of it. Right. So they're just watching me waiting for me two minutes before the race. Then they all say, I say, okay, I like these horses go bet this. Then they go do it. After the race is over, I do the same thing, put my head down. And I remember my friend coming up to me at the end of the day and he says, this does not look fun at all. He goes, I couldn't even imagine doing this. He said, it was painful to watch you all day long. And from that point forward, I'm like, I'm not, I know I'm not going to stop playing. I love horse racing. It's in mm -hmm. my blood. I have to figure something out. I think like for me as well, like over the pandemic, I was still playing horses, but being at the house all day, I just had to find something else to do. And I picked up chess. And I mean, if I thought like, let me just combine chess and horse racing. If I thought horse racing was hard, trying to remember, you know, 85 moves of variations for separate openings in chess. I think I've picked the two hardest games in the world to even try and learn, <laughs> especially back to back like I was doing through quarantine. Well, for sure. You know, I, of course, I've taken a lot of people to the track and you, you go over and you show them the, what we traditionally have used to handicap. And they look at this and they go, uh-huh. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, they're not going to do it. And so, you know, I think that there's a lot of things that need to be improved in our game, but one of them is the handicapping materials. And I think that automation AI is going to be the future of it. A automation of morning lines, you know, because we have our Equine Edge morning line as well. All these things need to be automated. So that's one part of what needs to be improved with horse racing. So before Equine Edge, let's bring it all the way back to the basic days. What, uh, what got you started into racing and, you know, what kind of, you know, got the, uh, got the bug going? A friend of mine worked for Mel Studi and he took me over to Fairplex Park in Pomona. Do you remember that track? I do. Yeah. So I go over there. I'm 18 years old and he takes me over there and he's, he's like, all right. So there's two horses from Mel Studi. And he said, I think they're going to come in first or second. So we went and I did a $10 exacta box. I'll never forget it. Then we went to the fair, went on some rides, played some games, came back, watched the race. And the horses came in first and second. And I won 200 and something dollars. Now you can imagine <laughs> at 18 years old, I lost my mind. I'm like, you. And so I went to a friend of mine afterwards and I said, hey, the easiest game in the world. We got to go back. Believe me, bring, how much money do you have? He goes, I've got $500. I'm like, okay, bring it all because we're going to win. This game is so easy. About two hours later, all $500 of that money was gone. <laughs> I, I feel like the same way. My dad was a bartender for an OTB. That's kind of how I got into the game. And I remember late one night, I had been watching everyone lose consistently at the OTBs. My, my, my bankroll learning was picking up losing tickets. That's how my dad got me to learn bankroll management. And I was playing Evangeline Downs, and I think I hit six of the first seven exactas. And I'm like, you say this, this game is so difficult. Look at this. And my dad's like, this will never happen again for the rest of your life. And I still to this day, I think I have never even hit three exactas back to back to back like that. It was just I played six exacta boxes. They all came in. It was the most unreal heater I've ever been on as a vertical player sense well that's what we should do for now on we should just invite new people to the game right and then let them win right and then yeah. they're going to get addicted to it and then we'll draw the younger generation in that's what we should do so now you're you're getting into it the fairplex happens the 500 dollars happens 
what for you was kind of like the breakthrough where you finally realized I'm actually halfway decent at this game. And like, what are some of your favorite angles to play? And obviously playing Santa Anita, I'm sure you have, you know, your favorite connections, et cetera. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've, I've never been a speed player or a time player. I've mm-hmm. never believed in time at all. Um, so I, I'm definitely a class player for sure. So I remember um, when I created the, the first product I created for Equinedge, it was a class number. And, and then I created a competition rating. So those were my two first metrics that I actually created 15 years ago. And what the idea of the competition rating was, which is now our S, called our SOR, Strength of Race, is that instead of having three horses' names, which does nothing for you unless it's some grade one race and you want to see the names of these you know, top horses mm-hmm. in the country, I thought that that single number, one, it would take less space, but two, it would give you more of an indication of how tough the race actually was. Because you know and I know that if a horse goes gate to wire and looks impressive on paper, wins by 10, it could be an optical illusion. And so, but what if it said the, the, the competition rating, the SOR was a uh, 50 and another horse loses by five lengths, but that competition rating was a 65. Well, I'd rather have the horse that lost by a little bit that faced the tougher competition because it really is all about who you face. So for us in Equine Edge, the SOR number is is really important. I have so many people come on who are big race replay watchers, and I've always been a speed guy, and I've been a, a bigger class guy. I learned from James Quinn all the books. Definitely, uh, for me, top of Mount Rushmore. And I feel like people – they just forget like just some basic stuff when it comes to handicapping. Like there's a maiden special way he's lost four times. He has four zero buyers and he's dropping into maiden claiming. And the favorite is two to five because they've ran second, six straight races. And this will be the day he finally wins. And the maiden special weight horse who shows a little bit of speed goes gate to wire at 15 to one. And everyone's just like, this game is rigged. This makes no sense. And it, it just is like we say, you just the horses that are tougher, when they can drop down, like there's a reason why drop downs win more than horses that jump up in class. It is. Uh, it's all about the class. And of course the biggest drop in, in races, as we both know, straight maidens down into maiden claimers for sure. Um, pace is a big, I would say pace is a big factor, right? I mean, mm-hmm. for sure. I mean, but class at the end of the day, you could see a horse that is facing weaker that goes gate to wire, but they're just not going to do well because a lot of the class horses, when they face easier, they're going to show speed. So uh, pace is a pace is a factor. Speed, time to me, uh, I'm pretty convinced that it's 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 useless to be honest with you. I I, th- I think though, especially with speed figures, it's it's baked into the price. Just like if you have you know Irad Ortiz at Belmont now baked into the price. It's if you're gonna play Irad, the horse is a not gonna be an overlay. It's not even gonna be anywhere near what the morning line was. You're probably gonna get three or four ticks down just based on the jockey, let alone the horse. That for all we know can't run at this level to begin with. Like Irag can't carry this horse across the finish line to make up six lengths on a horse that has been facing better and now drops down. No, for sure. But I think you have to be careful. See in our algorithms, the jockey is factored in strongly and it, and, and we've seen where it does make a difference. Mm -hmm. So that's factored in. You have to be careful though, because it's almost like the Lasix rules. Now there was, this game was already hard enough and now you got to factor in. (laughs) Does a horse have Lasix does not have Lasix. Like they're making this so difficult on the handicappers and if people don't win, they're not going to continue to play. Most people are not going to continue to do that because they're not martyrs. So, but I think that uh, you, you have to look at the jockeys, but you do have to be careful. Jockey changes are more important to me. There's a couple of examples mm-hmm. in some of the races we're going to cover today where um, a jockey change was needed because the horse kept breaking slow out of the gate. 
And I think you, you know, sometimes you have to change that jockey. So I think in certain instances you need to do that. Yeah. I, I think as, as well, and not just, you know, not to hammer on IRAD or anything like that. And I, I do agree. I, I think that a lot of people just throw the jockey out for me. I, I'm not so happy. Like if IRAD's on four times in a row, but if it's, you know, first time IRAD or first time Joel, and I know that the horse, you know, has just needed to get some stronger handling down the lane. Like once you can kind of get, you know, Jose Lascano on the grass f- first time up, like that's one of my favorite angles. Cause the guy's won riding tiles now and people still don't realize how good he is as a grass jock. He's amazing. It, it, no, I know. Oh, fantastic. I agree. Most underrated jockey in the colony. I using and another thing, stats race lens, which I use, I think he's plus 37% ROI in the last year in turf and just turf in general. I'm just like, but that, but everyone will still bet Chad Brown because Ch- Chad obviously owns the turf. And I just, there's everyone says the game is unbeatable now because there's just, the computer players, et cetera. And I think that it just comes down to being patient. I think people need to go back and realize I can't play all 10 races today. I have to find three races. Hopefully maybe at least two coincide so I can play the double back to back. But a lot of times you only get two or three win bets on the card, or, you know, play a couple across the boards, hitting the pick four and pick five right now. If you have a small bankroll and you play a 50 cent ticket for $24, I mean, it's just difficult. It is difficult, but most of the players like some, where we get all these people um, testimonials telling us when they're hitting, most of the, the good ones are playing smaller tickets. They're okay with losing and they're trying to win bigger. And when they do, they, it's, it's great for them. And so it's, it's very difficult to play bigger tickets as well because the payouts aren't so great. So you have to, that's, there's a fine line there. So you got to be careful, but with the CAW players, the computer players, um, they affect the game definitely, but they also increase the pools. Yeah. So it, it, you know what I mean? So you have to, it's a fine line right there. Um, you know, and, but you need those pools to be bigger and, and, and it's just part of our game now. So you have to find angles. Like you were saying, I definitely think you, you definitely have to find your angle, what you do well at, find the amount you want to play, stick with it. But I will say this, and you know, this each race is differently. It presents itself differently. Horses are different. Everything is different. And like for me, I don't play wet, wet tracks. I can't do it because it's a jockey's race. I have no idea what's going to happen on a wet track. I, I just don't. I'm not good at it. So I stay away from wet tracks. With that, let's jump into the first of our four races today. It's race number five from Santini. It's a maiden claiming 50,000 down to 45,000, one mile on the turf. Would you like to start this race off, Scotty? Well, I did like the three horse. He was our top win percentage at uh, 31%, so not high. And um, Juan Hernandez for John Sadler. And I really like this three because one, it was the top win percentage, hadn't broke well in his last three starts. That's usually a sign that the horse is in its head. And then it gets in the jockey's head. So I thought it was an important jockey change to Juan Hernandez. And uh, for me, this was the horse to beat. For me with commanding chief, I, I have a rule and it's don't play maidens who are 0 for 10 or more. And obviously 13 for 10, nothing to sniff out or be bad about. I just, when I saw this horse, you know, four to one in line, I didn't know if the horse would take money. I was also a little bit nervous about the layoff. The race on January 17th was fine, but finishing second again as the favorite. I just wondered maybe if also the jockey change obviously helps uh, Hernandez uh, running second in this uh, year, Santania jockey standing super, super solid jock. I just, I get nervous, you know, when you see those 0 for 10, 0 for 13 horses, because they always seem to take a little bit of money and then they just, always you know become nibblers in a way 
Well, a couple of things on this one, right? So you this one with commanding chief, you have a horse that's been in the money 10 of 13 tries. Mm-hmm. So that's something. And then and then breaking slow, but still finishing. So as long as a horse is finishing to me, that's what matters. The second thing you have to consider is who's the favorite? And in this case, it's titrate, the two. Was gelded after his last start. Many people play geldings, they think that's a big deal. I've run the stats. It's an eleven percent of the time mm-hmm. a horse that gets gelded comes back to win. So and also I think like last time they put this horse against, you know, the winners and these horses and then the guy didn't run bad, but was in between horses, but still they lose their confidence. They start losing and losing and they start burning money. I think it's really important. You keep this horse in a maiden race until it breaks its maiden and then put the horse against winners. I feel like too with Titray, I just feel like we've seen the same race three straight times, obviously claimed off Sadler by Mike Pipey and, we see the you know same two races, one a mile, one at six furlongs. And I I asked this question of a couple of friends. I said, how many races until a claim just ends up not being the right claim? Is it one race, two race? You know, obviously, I know sometimes people claim horses at the end of the turf season to run them on the turf the next year. But I just I thought maybe this one maybe wasn't the best claim by Pipey, just not having gotten that W. Ran him against winners, which I guess shows very strong confidence. I just didn't want anything with a horse, and this comes back to where me and you were a little bit different. The speed figures, you don't believe in them. For me, I see three straight 65 and 66s, and I just wanted to look a different way. I went with the six, Aurelian Man. Jessica Pfeiffer, I still think, is an overlay. I just think people don't realize how good she is and being a bug. She's always getting just better mounts than the normal bug jockey gets. Had Doug O'Neill here. And just the, the last two races off the layoffs on turf, 67-63, when you see that 10-to-1 morning line, I just thought, you know, taking money then down to 6-to-1, I thought this one was live, and I thought the numbers fit just as good as anybody else in this race. Yeah, the, for me, the problem with him was is I really feel like his breeding is – really sprint oriented yeah so i went against him only for that reason but the, obviously the drop in for a tag was big i also thought algeria the 10 horse the irish um really ran good off that nine month layoff right mm-hmm. and had, had the 11 hole and the 12 hole and it's only starts here in the states richard baltus on the turf as you know you can't ignore richard baltus and i didn't like the lack of speed shown in those first two starts but had had you know drawn very wide in those starts as well so i thought this one had a big look Richard Baltus to me is what Jose Lascano is to the East Coast handicappers. I feel like he's just always like the third or fourth forgotten trainer in a turf race. And obviously 19% there in the form. I mean, obviously he's a solid, solid turf trainer. And I think people just forget. I, I do like what you said about the uh, post positions. I think post positions matter a lot in turf. Also the fact, the reason I didn't like this one so much off that last race was just did get that fast, fast pace based off time form to close into. And I kind of try not to take, Horses closing into fast paces. I'd rather see those blue fractions like uh, our friend JK likes so much. For sure. I, I watched the video of that and and the horse broke slow and was wide. And and I thought the horse really did well to run on, but I understand. I, I do look at pace as well. So mm-hmm. I'm with you on that. For me, it is number six, Aurelian Man. For Scotty, it's number three, Commanding Chief. Let's see who can break their maiden right now. And they're off. Commanding Chief out quickly. There's Big Well. Aurelian Man is up and on the pace, too. Extreme outside. Pro Bono is rushing into contention. Inesperado moves up willingly in between horses to make it a pretty good battle on the front end. Algeria has settled down toward the rail and is about six or seven lengths off the lead as they move into the first turn, as Big Well didn't take that turn too well at all. It's Aurelian Man, Inesperado right together. 
Two more back to Bigwell in third. A gap of three to Pro Bono by himself in fourth. Then it's Algeria, followed by Titrate, racing three quarters in front of My Indy. King's Honey is next as they swing on to the backstretch. Commanding Chief, who broke well, is now toward the back of the field. Juror is racing on the outside of Brother Reed, and then two more back to Air. They're heading to the 3-8th pole. It's Aurelian Man in front by about a half length to Inesperado second. Big Well keeps the pressure on the top pair, three wide in third. Pro Bono is fourth, just three lengths off the lead. Tight trade at the rail. Algeria, Orange Cap is next, trying to launch a wide bid. There goes Algeria on the far outside, passing horses now quickly. And Commanding Chief is following that path as the field turns for home. Aurelian Man, Algeria pounces on the outside. And in the center of the course, Commanding Chief continues to make headway, followed by Pro Bono. Algeria or Commanding Chief. Commanding Chief or Algeria. Algeria just in front. Commanding Chief surging. Commanding Chief wins it. Algeria, good second. Pro Bono in a close photo with a closing brother, Reed. Aurelian Man completes the super high five. And number three, Commanding Chief gets it done, paying 10 40 79 buyer. I guess the 14th time is the time for this one. Nice pick on top, Scotty. Well, you know, this one broke well with Hunter, uh, first time for Juan Hernandez and for John Sadler and Ronis Racing. And uh, it was her first win in 14 lifetime starts. Uh, that's back-to-back wins, by the way, for Juan Hernandez. But I do think she'll do well against winners. I think she she can have a future. It won't be stakes, most likely, but I think she'll she'll be she'll be uh, very useful. Algeria runs a solid, solid third. I guess this is where it's hard, you know, when you think that a horse is going to not run as good because they had a pace-sated, you know, racetrack and then didn't bump up too bad, up 74 to a 78. It's not full improvement. I usually like to look at five points being improvement or decline. But I think this one will be interesting going forward, and I wonder if people will look at Commanding Chief if they're trying to figure out the class and be like, this horse lost to an 0 for 14 horse. Maybe this we can get another 4-1 to shot with this one, who might be a good bet next time out. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I actually put a note on this horse. And uh, I, did you see how much more speed Algeria showed I today? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that was incredible. So, um, yeah, I absolutely think this horse will be great next time out. Hopefully, maybe draws inside, showed more pace. Uh, and, and, you know, and not only that, too, the, the next race will be second off the layoff. So it should be a lot tighter. Let's talk about the favorite, Titrate, running a 59, way off the board. What do you think went wrong here? Uh, I mean, just zero excuses. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was nothing. I mean, this horse literally had nothing. I don't know what that was, but uh, just did not run. And what will be interesting is I think as well, you know, how many times can they burn money? This is the second time in the last three races now. And I feel like for me, not being the biggest West Coast guy, once they lose with Pratt on, I'm usually off the horse because usually when Pratt's on them, they win. And I feel like if Pratt can't figure out, and they run so bad, I feel like this one might just end up being the career maiden. Oh, spot on. Yeah, I agree. I'll, definitely, when you get a top jockey that can't win with a horse and then and gets a you know a, a lesser win percentage jockey, oh, absolutely. That's, a, that's usually a play against unless the horse is really dropping in class. Let's move on to race number six from Santanilla's a maiden 20,000 claimer, six furlongs on the dirt. What are we doing here, Scotty? All right, so, you know... We, this race, six furlongs on the dirt, and here's the thing about horses like this. So most of the money that I've won in my career when it comes to pick sixes has been trying to beat horses like my Tigress. Uh, and it was six to five on our EE morning line, but the next closest was five to one. So it told me that I knew this horse was going to get bet, 
this is great on when you're playing horizontals to, to, to feel confident that you're going to try to beat a horse like this. And I did. I was extremely confident this horse was not going to win. Felt like this horse would be in the exotics. I was a little surprised to see our win percentage was only 14% on this horse. And that made me not like the horse that much more. Uh, I'm always leery. And I know you feel the same way. This horse, two and three back, was the even money favorite in both those races and was losing ground. Yeah. Now, if a horse is losing as the favorite and it's close, that's one thing. But when you're like giving up like that, oh no. I mean, you are a play against. And that's how I felt about this four horse, my Tigris. For me, and like you had said, it's just, okay, now I have to find something in these maiden 20s that we know are just going to be full of the career maidens. And I was looking at the first-time starters, Sassy Chasey for Hector Palma, you know, 18%, $5 ROI, has some decent works in there. I ended up going with the number six Ricotta for Thomas Bell. Love the fact that we're getting weight with Ellingwood on. 0 for 3 with first-time starters, not the worst. I love seeing bullet five furlong works out of first time starters. This horse is also four. So obviously we're later on in the year, four-year-olds, not the best thing to go with. Usually you want to see that in January, February, etc. I just think that the two bullets, the 47 at four furlongs as well. I think this one showed this one was ready and six furlongs on the training track is nothing to, uh, nothing to be upset about. Anytime you see a vulnerable favorite and you feel confident about that, the first thing you do in a, in a maiden race with first-time starters is look to see who the first-time starters are. First thing I do, we were on the same page here. I was all over Ricotta. I loved the fact, it was one of three first-time starters, the one, five, and six, Sassy Chassis, I figured would have some speed as well. And, uh, but I was all over the six as well. Tom Bell is a solid trainer. I felt like this horse was properly placed. And um, yeah, I, 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 I was on this horse as well. For for me as well, and before we get right to the race call, uh, 58 is the buyer par. I always knock that down five points based off the James Quinn ideology to get some more contenders in there, and there still wasn't much in this race. And I think just knowing where I was picking, I'm like, this race, no matter what happens, it's come out as a weak race. So usually that usually means chaos. I was super happy with Ricotta. It is a consensus pick here in the six on Redboard Rewind. Let's see if Ricotta can break her maiden here right now. And they're off. Sienna Silk is out quickly. So is Katie's Paradise, who vies for the lead. Ricotta has sharp speed and is quicker than all of them. And Sassy Chasey up and on the pace, moving up at the rail to challenge Ricotta. My Tigress gets a good spot in fourth, about four lengths off the lead. Sienna Silk, who broke well, is next. Then it's Can Fly, who was off slowly, racing on the inside of Vanna, with Cameo Shores outside that pair. My sis Cindy is second to last, and Indy Gaye is at the back of a very strung outfield. It's Ricotta on the outside, back in front, Sassy Chasey a half length back in second. A gap of five to Katie's Paradise in third. That group is followed by My Tigress, Sienna Silk trying to make some headway down at the rail. Three in front of Vanna. They turn for home, and it's Ricotta clear by three. Sassy Chasey is in second, followed by Katie's Paradise in third. Center of the track, My Tigress, a 16th to go. Ricotta lead down to two and a half. Katie's Paradise is closing stoutly. Katie's Paradise trying to get to Ricotta, who's getting tired and looking for the line. Ricotta just in front. Katie's Paradise and my Tigress, a driving finish. Ricotta saved by the wire to get the cheese. Katie's Paradise, my Tigress, and then in behind them, it was a battle including my fly and Vanna to complete the... And the number six, Ricotta does get it done, paying 12 20 48 was the buyer, just enough 
to beat Kate's Katie's Paradise. My Tigris runs third. It, it wasn't pretty, but it got the job done in 1220 as good as a 48 buyers is with a 96. Yeah, the two first-time starters, Sassy Chassis, the five, and Ricotta, the six, dueling. And uh, the problem was uh, down the stretch, the six horse wasn't changing leads and uh, was really stopping, putting on the brakes. And, you know, sometimes it's an optical illusion. They were really catching her, and it looks like those horses are closing, but really that's not what's happening. It was just a, a very weak race, and Ricotta ends up uh, getting the win, the first-time starter. And how about Frank Maramani, right? Mm -hmm. Saved by the wire to get the cheese. Did you hear that? I mean, it was fantastic. It was, it was, I mean, I remember back when Rona and Miramati were challenging to see who was going to be, be out there. And I originally had liked Rona, and then obviously all the stuff happened. And Miramati just – he fits very well out there. I think he just – the race calls. I'm just as excited about, you know – when Larry left having the guy who now his name has escaped me in New York, uh, who had been the backup for so long, I'm just happy that people are getting chances now to really show their craft and just be so good out in the racetrack. And I mean, there's nobody better, I think, right now than Frank Miramonti with these stretch calls. No, he's fantastic. I actually miss, I don't know why he doesn't do it, but I miss having him do his different impressions in, in race calls. I haven't heard it in a while. <laughs> Now, obviously, we talked about being such a weak race. Do you kind of just make the quick note that anybody coming out of this race is just going to be a play against going forward? Yeah, I do that a lot. I, I use our note system a lot and because it's just really important that you 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 kind of identify. Now, here's the thing with you have to be careful with notes, though. you got to get good at, at watching video. But even with your notes, you got to be careful, like calling something a weak race because I've done that. And then that horse might be facing an even weaker route, right? So. Yeah. You know, you, you got to get it's it's actually uh, you got to get good at it. It's a skill that you can learn on how to one put notes in the system, but also watch race replays. Mm -hmm. Can't agree with you more there. Let's move on to the third race of this pod race. Number seven, it's the grade three American. We're done with the maidens. We're moving all the way up is a grade three going one mile on the turf. Big favorite in the number three Neptune storm was a play against for me. What about for you, Scotty? Well, first time Peter Miller, I chose this horse and, and then, uh, and, and, and I, and, and I still think this horse was a horse to beat Had every right to need this race after a 10 month layoff. Right. But mm -hmm. was, here's the thing about horses like this though, in, in retrospect, it was, yes, been running great in grade ones and grade twos races, but that was as a three-year-old against three-year-olds now is five years old. And a lot of people make that mistake of looking at that. And it really is, what have you done for me lately? So I think it's extremely important that you look at current class and what is the horse done for you at this time. So you got to be very leery uh, in a, with a horse like this uh, for the win. I think you have to use a horse like this, but not necessarily key. This was, this was my single. I, I think as well. And I forget who, who taught me about it, but I, I think when every single year, obviously horses age change and I've been starting to mark it down, especially for the three and four year olds, like, okay, well they do it three. Did they improve it four? Well, if they didn't improve at four, why should they improve at five? And depending on if it's like obviously a curlin or one of those later developing sires, I mean, if it's a precocious type, I usually tend to try to stay against. For me, Neptune Storm just seemed the one he danced all the dances, you know, 15 for 19 in the money, six for 19 on the win end, and it won the Hill Prince at Belmont. And usually when those West Coast horses can ship east and win, they're very dangerous. The only two misses off of his card were at Kentucky Downs, which is that undulating track and the Shoemaker Mile against Raging Bull, who we just saw barely get nipped up the wire by Alexandra. I mean, this horse is just a super fighter every time. I just wondered, and like we had said, and I've just noticed a lot this weekend, I was playing a lot 
against layoff horses. And I moved over to the number two, Restrained Vengeance. Had just run third against Smooth Lake Straight, who's one of my favorite horses right now in the Shoemaker Mile. Nice race in the San Fran two-back. And he had some back class by, um, you know, just winning a couple of listed stakes. I feel like a lot of the listed stakes in grade three, sometimes you, they can be close in class level. And he had had decent races being placed in a grade one and a grade three. I thought this one at pretty much seven to two was almost an auto play for me. And at four to five for Neptune Storm, I was like, if it wins, it wins. But this is why we play this game to beat these four to fives when you have a light, when I have an overlay like the number two, Restrained Vengeance. Yeah, I felt like Restrained Vengeance was had all the momentum, right? In the Shoemaker Mile, it's a grade one race. Now, I know it was only five other horses, but did get third by three and a quarter lengths. I really thought that Restrained Vengeance could be tough in this race. And uh, Tyler Bays, I would love Tyler Bays, one of my favorite jockeys. Like really good at getting a horse out of the gate as well, and I thought that was important for this horse to stay close. And uh, I and and so I, I think uh, Restrained Vengeance is uh, off of that Shoemaker was probably the horse to beat in here. I think a lot of times too, you know, people will say, "Oh, Val Brinkerhoff, three percent on the turf. He's not that good of a turf trainer." Well, I mean, he doesn't have a win yet with the horse, but when they've you know become dual stake place under the trainer and you know just missing the Santana Santana Mile off the grass. I just feel like people sometimes put trainer stats too much into their head. Oh, the guy's not 25%. He must be terrible. Well, if for me, the rule is about five to 7% and under, that's when I kind of, you know, start getting that weary, weary feeling. He was 3%, but I was getting an overlay. If this horse had taken money, I think that just when it comes down to it, the price is what mattered in this race for me. Yeah. You know, this is one of the reasons why I'm more about metrics than I am stats, because I can't tell you how many horses that said over 30 with first time starters with that trainer. And I, I, I throw the horse out and it wins or this trainer is 25% on the turf, but he's only 10% win on the, on the dirt. I, I, I just have to go by the trainer itself and, and uh, overall, and, and I'd really try to lean more towards the horse, the situation, the distance, the surface. I, I, I really try to not let all that other stuff cloud my head. For Scotty, it's Neptune storm for me it is restrained vengeance. Let's see who can win this grade three right now. They're off. Perfect start in the American stakes. Sash is going to the front. Neptune Storm is up close in the early going. Restrained Vengeance broke well, but is off the pace. Tis Plus on the fence. Majestic Eagle three wide, five off the leader, and Border Town will do his best running later. It's Sash who makes it over to the rail and leads by a length and a half. Tracked intently by the favorite Neptune Storm in second. Tis Plus at the rail, a joint third inside Restrained Vengeance. Then comes Border Town and Majestic Eagle. They're on to the backstretch with Sash in charge. Has it by two lengths. Flavian Pratt and Neptune Storm in hand second. Another two and a half to Restrained Vengeance, racing on the outside of Tiz Plus. Bordertown wants to get a little bit closer. He's in just a tad tight on the inside of Majestic Eagle. It's a compact group behind the loose leader, Sash. Sash has opened up four lengths now. Neptune Storm is in second, followed by Tiz Plus, Restrained Vengeance, Border Town, and Majestic Eagle. Sash's lead still three and a half midway on the far turn. 
Neptune Storm starts to close in now. The lead down to two lengths. Restrained Vengeance, Tiz Plus, Border Town, Majestic Eagle, top of the lane. Sash confronted and caught by Neptune Storm. Neptune Storm on the outside takes a narrow lead. Restrained Vengeance, center of the course. Majestic Eagle is finishing with some interest. 16th pole, Neptune Storm not home yet. Restrained Vengeance coming right to him. Neptune Storm, Restrained Vengeance, Restrained Vengeance gets up to win. Neptune Storm was second. Tiz plus third. Majestic Eagle ran fourth. And the number two, Restrained Vengeance, gets it done, paying 880 with a solid 94 buyer. Didn't improve, but didn't need to. Obviously, off that long, long layoff, Neptune Storm kind of comes back to us off that 101. And this is another reason why, when you say you don't play those speed figures, everyone just sees the 101 and thinks this horse is an auto lock. Yeah, well, Restrained Vengeance, well, now nine wins and 31 tries. $750,000 earned for Val Brinkerhoff. So uh, another one on the card, by the way, for Tyler as well. Mm-hmm. And it was just a it was really good run there. Neptune Storm had every right to need this race. And uh, I, I think this horse will this horse will be like, you know, that was first time for Peter Miller. This horse will be a grade three horse, no problem. Non-graded stakes. You'll be seeing this horse over at Del Mar for sure. And we'll probably win a, win a race or two for sure. I think for me, obviously, you know, next time out, if these two end up facing off, I think I'm definitely going to be on Neptune storm. I think this was the time for restrained vengeance for sure. Oh, I would agree with that. Right. I'm definitely a proponent. Second off a layoff, um, things like that. Third off the layoff. And yeah, this horse will be a lot tighter for Peter Miller. I have no, no doubt about it, but I was impressed with, with restrained vengeance. That was a nice effort. Sat in third, tactical. This one always tries. It, this this is a very honest horse, and I, I like I love honest horses like this. Let's move on to the last race of the pod. Race number eight for Xantony is the Phasic Tipton debutante. Five furlongs on the dirt, small field. What did you like in here, Scotty? Oh, I loved at the spa. I mean, it just really did. I mean, this one broke its maiden like so impressively, winning by seven in hand at four to five. And I figured, you know, she's probably going to be on the pace in this race. Tyler Bays is good as any of the current jockeys getting a horse out of the gate. And um, I, I thought at the spa was going to be really tough in this race. It's hard when you get these two-year-old races and, you know, everyone sees, they see obviously, oh man, the Santania short fields, here they are again. And I thought this one was contentious at the spa, 64, one by seven. But money penny for Umberto Raspoli. Obviously Pratt jumps off and goes to the one. 62 last time out has two races compared to the one at the spa. And I think, a lot of times people think, you know, oh, they can't wait to get these horses into stake races. I think sometimes that second race, you know, having that little bit extra experience matters sometimes when we get into these, you know, later two-year-old races down the road. You know what makes these races so hard to handicap is that every one of these five horses broke its maiden going gate to wire. Yes. So it's so difficult to handicap these to know, okay, well, what if one of them breaks a little bit slow and doesn't get the lead? Can they rate? You just don't know. Uh, you, you just don't know. And I was surprised that Pratt got off the three money penny who had won by five and a half lengths and goes to Peter Miller first time out on Laurel Canyon who ended up drawing the rail. I was really surprised by that. I was also surprised if we're being honest that Laurel Canyon ended up going off the favorite. <laughs> I mean, usually we don't see a eight to 10 point difference in the buyer figure and one horse go off. And it was a little, it was close, but I mean, still being a favorite is a favorite. I just thought at the spa would be four to five. And when I saw almost, you know, two to one, I was licking my chops again. I, I know. I, I thought, and you know, by the way, too, the, the, uh, the two horse at the spa and money penny in their, in their openers in their first starts, they faced each other and money penny broke really poorly. 
And whereas at the spa broke on top and ended up winning easily, but money penny finished, went wide around the turn and actually finished. So I actually thought money penny would actually run a decent race. I, I actually um, was feeling the exact a two, three in this race. It's another consensus pick. The number two at the spa. Let's see if we can get done here in the eighth right now. They're off. Very quick beginning for Laurel Canyon, who's battling it out early with At The Spa. These two sizzle down the backstretch with Money Penny just three quarters back in third. Then Love Her Heart and Royal O'Hagan. Program order into the far turn. It's Laurel Canyon just in front. At The Spa pressing second. Two more Money Penny, Love Her Heart and Royal O'Hagan. They're covered by four, less than three-eighths to run. Laurel Canyon continues in a ding-dong battle with At The Spa. At The Spa puts her white blinkers in front. Money Penny a length and a half back in third. Royal O'Hagan and Love Her Heart there at the top of the stretch. At The Spa on the outside. Laurel Canyon fights on at the rail. They've been together throughout, but now At The Spa puts her away inside the furlong pole. Love Her Heart is finishing nicely between horses. Money Penny on the outside trying to get into second. It's At The Spa in charge and At The Spa, an impressive winner of the Phasic Tipton debutante. And the number two At The Spa gets it done, paying a nice 580 with a 59 buyer declined a little bit, but that two, three exact money penny. I mean, we've seen it already once in their lifetime. Why can't they do it again? Laurel Canyon, definitely disappointing to run third. I mean, nice, solid exact. I think the exact it paid as I can try and find it. Eleven ninety. $11 and 90 cents. I mean, what else do you need when you're playing a chalk horse with a horse that's already finished behind it? I mean, just amazing. Got, and, and, well, you know, another reason to try to beat Laurel Canyon, I think Laurel Canyon is going to be fine. It just uh, faced a faster horse and at the spa who's decent and, uh, and was on the rail. And by the way, at the spa is a cowbred. I think this horse is going to do very well in some, maybe even graded stakes races, but for sure some, some uh, state bred state uh, maiden race or uh, stakes races. Right. Don't you think? I, I think so too, that the spa, you know, being, by outwork i think that everyone looks at uncle mo and just you know still how good he is as a sire but i think outwork is sneaky i think that this one might end up being maybe not amazing as a sire but definitely one of those you know the journeyman sires that just end up you know every one every once in a while they throw two or three good horses yeah yeah for sure well and but i'll tell you what at the spa i i really do i watch this horse i, I think he's gonna have a really good delmar meet i really do i, I i'm actually pretty high on this horse uh, well-bred and uh, Terry Levenger does a really good job as well. He's the breeder of this two-year-old. So yeah, very impressive Philly. I think she'll be good. Now, not being a speed figure person like you are. And for me, seeing the horse drop five points, that's the one thing that scares me a little bit. Do you think that I just need to kind of just close my eyes and not worry about it with this one and just, you know, look more at the, de- at the debut more, more or less compared to this race? Well, you know, cause every race is so different, right? This is just my opinion, but cause it, everything were there are different things for for different folks right mm-hmm. so but for me you don't know what the interfractions were um you know they could be just be cruising you know how much horse that tyler actually had at the end so there's a lot of different factors right there and and so i, I try i am just i i've done enough studying and statistics and and run a lot of numbers obviously with all of our algorithms to really feel strongly that uh, that time really doesn't mean much. It really doesn't. And, and what goes along with time is, 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 you know, those speed numbers and stuff. So now I, I am a pace 
proponent for sure. But as long as it's all equal and the same, the horses are in the same class level. That is all the time we have for today's podcast. I want to thank my special guest, Scotty McKee for coming on. Please go over and check out equine edge. Definitely something that has improved my handicapping over the last about say 60 to 90 days. Thank you so much for coming my man. Oh man. So good to be with you, Spencer. I really appreciate you having me on. Where uh, can people find you on social media in case they do have questions about the, uh, about the product? You can uh, at Scotty pick six or at equine edge. You can go to our Twitter and check that out. And you can uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. I do a show there uh, every Saturday and it's called equine edge live. And you can subscribe to our channel, of course, for free. And then if you click on the bell, you'll get notifications of when the show times are. And you can also subscribe to Equine Edge for free. And you'll, of course, get emails that are letting you know any specials we have or when my shows are. Thank you. And, so- and by the way, they always get the first week free. That's always a good little added bonus there. Thank you so much for coming on. All right. It's my pleasure. Good, good to be here with you. A special thanks to all the listeners out there for not just this show, but everything else on the In The Money Media Network, and also to my special guest, Scotty McKeever. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's president is Pierre Thomas Fornatel. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin, and our In The Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time.